You know, Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I believe those things have happened. I believe his kingdom did come. He said to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I believe he did build his church. In the, in the book of Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so the church came to be. It is the church that belongs to Jesus. And, and I believe we're a part of that church. We want to follow our Lord and serve him in a way that will be acceptable and that will be pleasing to him. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter in through the gates into the city. Jesus is the head of the church and the savior of the body. And so we are a part of that kingdom. If you're a Christian today, you have a responsibility to follow Jesus and to be a part of that kingdom and fit within that kingdom as he would have us to fit. And so I feel kind of bad for Randall and Debbie because every time I see them, they have to hear me preach. But, uh, you know, it's a, there's a lot of guys who teach here and you just showed up on a bad day and that's not my fault. Uh, that's your fault. We've been going through teaching in the assembly or, or really the assembly we've for several weeks we've covered topics that have to do with the assembly and today specifically we're going to cover teaching in the assembly we're not covering teaching outside of the assembly my task is specifically just on teaching in the assembly and when we think about the assembly and we think about scripture the passages that deal with teaching in the assembly there's not a whole lot of them and if you really start looking at it in the book of 1 Corinthians, really chapter 11 all the way through chapter 14 deal with problems at the church at Corinth and things that they were doing in the assembly. And specifically chapter 11 talks about how they had goofed up the communion. There were people in the church who were coming together to worship and there were people getting drunk in the church in communion. And so Paul addressed that in chapter 11 and he corrected those things. In chapters 12 and 13, he deals with a lot of the spiritual gifts or miraculous gifts that they had. And there's a whole list of those gifts there and the differing gifts of tongues, the gifts of knowledge, the gift of prophecy. And there's a lot of miraculous gifts. And probably before this study, I would have separated chapter 12 and chapter 13. But really after this study, those two chapters go together. Because the greatest spiritual gift that he gave was love. And I think he makes that clear in chapter 13. And he says a very important thing in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. He says, Charity never fails, but where there be prophecy, that shall fail. Where there be tongues, it shall cease. And so the Apostle Paul is helping the church, especially there at Corinth, to understand that the days of the miraculous revealing of God's Word was going to end. And God's Word is going to be taught... It was going to be spoken and preached not through a miraculous revelation like to a prophet, but just through effort, you see. Through the effort of men who will study the Word of God 
and prepare their minds and dedicate the thoughts and meditations of their hearts and stand up and proclaim the word of God. And so we have chapters 11 and 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 12 and 13 that really are dealing with things that pertain to an assembly. And then finally 14 covers specifically teaching in the assembly. There's a couple of alternate things we could say are covered there. A little bit about prayer, a little bit about singing in an assembly, but primarily the whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 14 is answering questions and addressing problems that the church at Corinth had when it came to teaching in a public assembly. And so that's what we want to talk about today. And when we say assembly, I want to refresh a little bit that Brandon covered a few weeks ago. We're talking about, we, we would basically call it going to church. That's a phrase that we've added or we've coined to describe what we do when we, we come for worship. We are gathering here today for worship in a public setting. And everyone's invited here. We'd be thrilled if anyone came and heard the teaching. And Brandon's covered a couple of those uh, uh, topics. Zane's coupled a couple, covered a couple of those topics. But it, essentially... The word church means assembly. It means a group of people or an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. And that's exactly what this is here today. It is a company of Christians or of those who, hoping for eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, observe their own religious rites, hold their own religious meetings, and manage their own affairs according to the regulations prescribed for the body for order's sake. And so we're not here today to have a free-for-all. We're here to follow the will of our Lord and to do things in a way that He wants us to do them. And I don't believe that our Lord built the church. I don't believe He's the head of the church and didn't leave us directions for what He wanted to happen. And so for a couple of passages, just to get going, the book of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, he says, "...who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount." And God had a pattern for Moses to follow, and I believe Moses followed that pattern. I believe he had a pattern for Adam to follow, and I believe Adam followed that pattern. And I believe that he has a pattern today for you and me to follow, and we should follow his pattern. And he admonished Moses straightly to do all things according to the pattern. And we have a pattern within the pages of the New Testament, and we're going to need to follow that pattern and adhere to what the Lord, the head of the church, wants us to do. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle says this very explicitly. He says in verse 17, For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. Now listen carefully. As I teach everywhere in every church, there was a pattern that the Apostle Paul followed. And the pattern that he followed were the ways of Christ. And he specifically said to the congregation at Corinth, I'm going to send Timothy to you to remind you because if we're very honest, Corinth had a whole lot of stuff goofed up. 
They had got a lot of things messed up and wrong. And he said, I'm going to send Timothy and he's going to help you because he's faithful and he's going to help you to remember what you need to do because I teach it everywhere I go. And so he didn't make special rules just for Corinth or Laodicea or the church at Rome, but every church followed a pattern that was the will of Christ. And so Paul had a hard job in going into a church and saying, what you're doing, whoa, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is a mistake. You've got to change what you're doing because you're not following the pattern. Okay, so teaching in the assembly. We all have an idea about what that is. And we're all familiar with it because if you go to church very much at all, you're going to hear teaching. And so there's not a ton of material on this about this, but what is there is there for us to have a great understanding. Within the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, just this one chapter, the word speak occurs 24 times just in one chapter. And so within this chapter, one chapter, he talks a whole lot about speaking. And so teaching in the church has to do with speaking. And that 24 times occurs five forms. Speak, spake, speaketh, speaking, and spoken. That's all from King James. It might be different in, in New King James or some other uh, form. Also, the word prophesy occurs 14 times in five different forms. So speak and prophesy are both similar. To prophesy means to utter words that have to do with religious things. And so we have prophesy, prophesieth, prophesied, prophesying, and prophet all appear in this one chapter. Finally, edify, this word occurs six times in three different forms, edification, edifieth, and edifying. And so we get kind of one of these overarching principles here that things are going to be said so that people are going to learn. That's the idea behind teaching. And maybe that's a little too general, but that's the idea. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12, he says, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, and we talked about this a little bit back in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, covers a whole lot of spiritual gift stuff. He says, Seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. And this is an overarching theme of teaching in the assembly. It should be so that people can learn. Because that's what edifying means. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 34, For you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And so, as Ty said the other day, this overarching principle is that people will learn. That people can be edified or built up. And so teaching in the assembly should be spoken words that people can learn. That's the base idea. Seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church, that you may all learn and all be comforted. That would be a way to put it all into a nutshell. Now here's the next overarching principle in the book of 1 Corinthians when it has to come to do with going to church. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better but for the worst. 
First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are to be division among you, and I partly believe it. One of the things you're going to notice if you carefully look at, especially chapters 11 through 14, is come together. Come together. Assembling together. And so that's one of those things that I believe we got to notice is it's always in a together arrangement in this public setting. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 20, When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Verse 33, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. In this example, he's specifically talking about communion, which chapter 11 is about because they had that goofed up. Verse 14 has the same thing. Verse 26, How is it then, brethren, when you come together? And so the idea was that the first century church the church that Jesus established, the church that the apostles preached and followed, every Sunday they came together, just like we have here today. And whether or not they had a church building, I don't know. They, we know they met in people's homes. There probably were other places they met. And they came together. And they assembled together for worship, for teaching, to commune. And those things have been covered to some degree in, in this series and other parts of those things will be. And so this next overarching principle is that they came together. And this phrase, coming together or assembling, uh, however you would want to describe that, occurs six times in chapters 11 through 14. And so in these chapters, Paul admonishes the church. He teaches the church about coming together for worship. Okay, that's sort of an introduction to this topic. We have to have a couple other things I think to understand. Elders oversee the teaching in the church. If there's a buck stop here group of people, it's the elders and we have two elders and it is their job and their role to oversee the teaching that goes on in the church. And so in Acts chapter 20 verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the elders at Ephesus and he gives them this charge. You've got to oversee this work and you've got to feed the flock. And the idea of feeding or teaching someone as a shepherd would feed and edify a lamb, and that lamb would grow because he eats and is nourished. And the Word of God is just like food to us spiritually. And as lambs, we need to feed on the Word of God and grow. And so it's an elder's job to do that. It's, it's rephrased in 1 Peter 5 verse 12, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. And we've had a lot of teaching the last couple of years when it comes uh, to these passages. And... It even goes so far as to get into the fact that elders have got to be skilled in teaching. And this is taught in a couple of different places. In the qualifications of elders, 1 Timothy 3 uh, says that an elder must be apt to teach. Titus 1 verse 9 says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. And so an elder's responsibility in overseeing the teaching of the church is not randomly given to some man. It's given to men who have the quality of being a skilled teacher and the quality of holding or understanding very well the doctrines of truth. And so 
God in his wisdom has designed things to function in such a way as that a church that is mature, a church that have all the parts that God wants it to have, can have elders who will oversee the teaching. And we're blessed to have that. Now I want to talk about prophets and teachers. We're going to read about prophets and teachers a good bit today. Prophets and teachers seem to be radically different at face value, but truth is they're very similar. And, and we read about this in the New Testament a good little bit. Acts 13 verse 1, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And he goes on to list them. Barnabas, Simeon, Niger, Lucius, and so on. And so we find in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers and then here's a list there were six or seven of these guys that shared the teaching role at Antioch 1 Corinthians 12 as I have said repeatedly the chapter that deals with spiritual gifts in verse 28 he says God hath set some in the church first apostles secondarily prophets Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? We'll keep reading. Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts? And yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And so God has put within the church prophets, teachers. That's the first two he listed. Well, he listed apostles. Apostles, prophets, thirdly teachers. And then he lists all these things that were miraculous in nature that at, at the time of Corinth, they needed to help teach the masses. They needed these things to show the truth of the word of God and to have every word confirmed. Because Jesus promised the apostles that he would send the comforter and the comforter was going to guide him in all truth. And that miraculous work had a time span and it would someday come to an end. And I believe that what he says here that there was going to be a better way that came, a more excellent way, was going to be talked about in the next chapter, 13 verse 8 specifically. The written word of God. Because at this time, they didn't have the Bible fully written down. And that's probably one reason they had some confusion. They were gathering up those books as the apostles read them. It took a little time, and ultimately that happened. I would like to really get into that, but it's a whole other long study. I didn't think I had time for it today. Again, prophets and teachers, Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 11. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, another teacher, you might say, some pastors, which is the same thing as an elder, and teachers. All these groups of people were given so that the church could be edified and built up. So what does he go on to say? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So God has planned, he has purposed, he has designed everything to work together. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, elders, teachers. 
All these things are there so that the church can be taught, that people can learn and be comforted. Now then, I want to say a little bit about prophets. Prophets spake by inspiration. In other words, they didn't have to study. They didn't have to prepare. God just put into their mind. He gave them the knowledge. And they got up and spoke. Now it sounds pretty good. Think about it, Matt. You walk in the building and you go, I got my sermon. <laughs> I got it. And you don't forget nothing. <laughs> you don't misspeak. That'd be pretty nice. And a prophet could get up and just utter the word of God and do it flawlessly. And they did. But there were people who could teach that weren't prophets. And like you and me, they had to work at it. They had to study. And they had to meditate. And they had to write notes and prepare sermons. And to get up and teach took a lot more effort. That's a teacher. And so prophets spake by inspiration. Teachers instruct and speak. They simply teach the word of, and the doctrine they have learned through study and effort. They do the same thing. You see, a prophet and a teacher does the same thing. It's different means to get there. Because a prophet's inspired. A teacher's not inspired. He just got to put the effort behind it. Can teach the same thing. And I'll give you an example. Matthew chapter 10 verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the council. They will scourge you in their synagogues. Ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. And so the idea was that the, the disciples were going to go out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and they were going to teach. And he says, it's going to be rough. Now I want you to keep reading with me. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak. Well, that ain't how a teacher does it. That's not how a preacher, he better not do it that way. These men were given a gift. They had the will of God revealed to them, divinely inspired. He says, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speaketh, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And so they got arrested, they got thrown in jail, and they got tied up. And when they're bringing them out to be presented to the governor, God said, here's what you say. And it was put in their mind. And they said it. And so that's a different. And so what we have as far as speakers, we have prophets, elders, and teachers. To be an apostle, you had to witness Jesus resurrected after he had died. There was only a few who did that. And what we were left with were prophets, elders, and teachers. I believe the work of a prophet came to an end. And as we've talked a little bit about, Jesus said he would bring the comforter, the spirit of truth, to guide them in all truth. I believe when all truth was brought forth and everything was written down completely in the Bible and the, the Bible was fully written, 
and we had every word that we needed, then we no longer needed prophets. We no longer needed the gift of knowledge but we, because we had a more excellent way. We had it written down so that we can read and learn. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8, he said, Charity never faileth, but where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. There was coming a day when the need of the prophet was gone. There was coming a day when the apostle was no longer needed because we had the word of God written down in the New Testament. And we can take it and we can read it and know the will of God. And elders can study the word of God and they can get up and teach. Other men who are not elders can study the word of God and stand up and teach the word of God. And I believe that was God's plan. Not to have prophets all down through the ages, but just a little while when the church was in its infancy and when the word of God was complete, I believe those days came to an end. And so prophets... Elders and teachers are all very similar. They all teach God's word. An elder must oversee the teaching in the church. And I believe we no longer have prophets today. And someone might ask, well, what about the minister? Don't the minister have to teach? A minister is an interesting study, and it's a long study, and I don't have time for it today. But I will tell you this. If you search the phrase, the minister, and it's pretty easy to do with with the Bible apps that we have today, there is never in Scripture one single man in the New Testament that's called the minister. Not one time. The word minister means servant. And the term today is probably a little different. It's used by people today to mean the guy who does all the teaching. That's just simply not what we find in the New Testament, we find what we found at Antioch. A number of different men. They had six or seven. I think here we have about 14 or 15 different men who teach. And we don't have one man that's the minister. Because that's not a pattern that we see. Uh, I've done a little bit of research on this. And I probably should do some more. But from what I have studied, there's at least a hundred different men whose names occur in the New Testament. And not a single man is called the minister in the New Testament uh, of a congregation. And I'd be happy to visit with, that, with you about that a little bit more. Okay, so how do we teach? How is teaching to happen uh, in the assembly? And, and it's, it's very simple. There's just a few passages of scriptures that frame it for us. Uh, very simply, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, beginning in verse 29. And so you may wonder, well, why would you cover all this other stuff when there's just a few simple things? Well, part of that is for us to understand when we read the word prophet, it, it means someone who teaches. It could be that they were divinely inspired, but it also could be someone who, like me or any other man in this, this congregation, studies and does their homework and then teaches. So when you hear the word prophet, you've got to understand not just simply divine teaching, but also just regular, ordinary effort teaching. 
He says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29, Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If there be, if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For you may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject in the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Now this, this first little snapshot of scripture here from 29 to 33, he describes essentially what we try to do, and I believe what he wants us to do. Now the second little snapshot of verse 27, and he says, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. So in both passages, we have someone teaching, a prophet in this case, or a teacher. In verse 27, we have some man speaking, or imparting knowledge or understanding, and we have a very similar or parallel uh, account of what should be done. And, and here's what it is. One is multiple teachers. There can be up to three speakers per assembly. And you might be sitting there and going, oh no, I hope they don't start having three long-winded preachers in the assembly. Well, we can do that. Uh, when, I was, when I was younger, I went to church in Lubbock, at, 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 at Church of Christ in Lubbock, and every Wednesday we had two speakers. And the idea was you'd teach about 15 minutes. We could do that with three speakers. That'd be fine. In all honesty, their services probably were longer than ours. And maybe we need to toughen up about that a little bit. I don't know. But this is the idea. Multiple men teach, and it could have been up to three. That's what he says. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the other judge. That by course. And verse 27 says that by course, which means one at a time. We don't need three people up here speaking all at the same time. We don't need seven or eight people talking at the same time. It wouldn't lead to edification. We couldn't understand what was being said. So, uh, multiple teachers, up to three, one at a time. And verse 3 says, everyone else listens. Let the others judge. He says, if anything be revealed to another that setteth by, let the first hold his peace. So it may be that while I'm teaching, Clyde Jr. says, I, I learned something. I realized something. He, he needs to wait till I get done. He, he can get up and say what he needs to say. But he needs to wait. It needs to be orderly in that respect. And so multiple teachers, one at a time, and everybody else listens and judges. Everybody else pays attention and makes judgments. And this kind of goes back to the passage about they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. That they searched the scriptures daily. You need to listen to what is taught. And you need to engage your mind and judge. This is your responsibility. A preacher has his responsibility to study and be prepared. But you have a responsibility to who? To listen. You might be surprised at how many people can sit through a, a service of the church and ignore everything. And you need to control your mind and think about what's being taught. And engage your mind in that process of judging, is this true? Is this right? How can I apply these things to my life? And in that way, a church is going to be edified. And that way, every person here is going to be built up and given strength. 
to endure the challenges and the hardships because we're going to get stronger by learning the Word of God. We're going to get stronger by engaging in these things and participating together in these things. Now notice what he says in verse 31. For ye may all prophesy one by one. You may all teach one by one that you may all learn and all may be comforted. And I've had people say, well, you guys... You guys won't let women preach. You guys won't let other people preach. Well, uh, there are some limitations. And these limitations were not invented by me. We can read about them. We're going to read about them here in just a moment. The first limitation that we have when it comes to teaching in the assembly is the foreign language speaker. Uh, particularly without an interpreter. And it doesn't happen very often here uh, you know, we've really tried to embrace our friends and neighbors who speak Spanish. I speak just enough Spanish to get in trouble, uh, and I wish I spoke it better. But occasionally we have Ram or Alex come, and, and they will translate. And I think it's a wonderful thing. But let's just say we had someone come in who spoke Russian, and, and that person wanted to get up and speak. And none of us understand Russian. Well, it's a problem, and there's a limitation on that by Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5, he said, I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. I get the sense that in the church at Corinth, there were a lot of people who were praying for, uh, seeking for a lot of the spiritual gifts, and maybe they had them. I get the sense that there were people at Corinth who tried really hard to have the gift of, of speaking tongues. And by tongues, what I mean is to have the gift to speak and interpret languages. And it would be a marvelous thing if, if Monty could just divinely interpret Russian. It would be a great thing. Or if next week he could do Greek or Portuguese or Spanish. And that was what the gift of tongues was. It was just like prophecy except that God would give someone the ability to interpret whatever language came up. Because, you know, they were running into a lot of people with different languages. But he says... I would that you spake with tongues, but rather that you taught and prophesied. Uh, and he says here, except he interpret. And there's a little bit more I want to read. 27 and 28. If a man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three. Well, the same rules seem to apply. We can have people speak in Spanish. That's fine. We can have people, people speak in German. That's fine. Two or three. And that by course. And then he says, and let one interpret. So here's the limitation. If, if, you, if we don't have an interpreter and you speak Russian, then you can't get up and preach. That's the rule. If you speak German and there's no one to hear to speak in German, then no one to interpret it, then you can't preach. You are limited in that respect. Now I'll say something about this. Because it's kind of interesting. To, to prophesy was to be revealed directly from God. To speak in a tongue was to be revealed directly to God. But a person could teach or prophesy just through effort, through a study of the Word. Same difference. 
That's also true for speaking in tongues. If I'd put the effort to it, I could learn to speak Spanish. And I could interpret Spanish. And if Rick will put the effort to it, he can learn to speak German. He may already know how. I don't know. I've not heard him do it. And so most all the spiritual gifts that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 were attainable through effort. They were all attainable through effort. <clears throat> Another limitation. So, so basically, if you speak a foreign language and you want to preach, there has to be interpreted. Otherwise, you're limited. You can't preach. If, you, if we do have an interpreter, that's fine. You can get up and preach. Second, there's a limitation on women. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. I believe he's, he's given us exactly what he means. The teaching role is not for women, not publicly. Because that's what we're talking about here today. We're talking about teaching in the assembly. We're not talking about teaching at home. And publicly, the role of women is limited to being a learner and not a teacher. Now he goes on, and I want to cover this just briefly. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe it's a parallel passage with 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35. 1 Corinthians 2, 11, 12 says the same thing. He says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, if we just take and, and read this passage, we might say, well, where? Where is a woman to learn in silence? Because he really doesn't describe it. Not in these two scriptures, these two verses. Where must a woman learn in silence? Is it everywhere? Any time that there is learning of any kind, does a woman have to be silent? Every time Charlene gets on her phone and Googles something and learns, does she have to be silent? If she learns something at the post office, does she have to be silent? At the hospital? At the courthouse? That would also mean all women in every school would have to be completely silent. So where is this applied? <clears throat> Got ahead of myself. <clears throat> where must women be learners and not teachers? And the, the answer is in the assembly. A lot of people don't like it. I have no doubt people are going to say we're, we hate women or, or we're male chauvinist pigs or I mean, you can throw any stone you want to throw. We didn't write it. It's inspired by our Lord. Women have a great teaching role. It's just outside the assembly. It's not a public role. There are men who are a part of this church who don't teach publicly. Doesn't make them second class. They have a different role. They teach privately. 
They communicate God's word in other ways. So it's not about status. This is the Lord's will. In the assembly, women must be learners and not teachers. In fact, he says in verse 35, if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. And I, if I could paraphrase, my understanding would be if they have questions, if there needs to be a discussion so that there's full understanding, do it away from the assembly of the church because women shouldn't speak in the church, not during the assembly. It's okay to speak in the fellowship hall. It's okay to talk in the foyer before services. During services, he says women should be silent. And I commend the ladies here that they, they, you honor God by doing so. A word on something outside of the uh, assembly. In Titus chapter 2 verse 3, he says, The aged women that they be... Uh, likewise, rather, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Listen, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Women are be teachers. It's just that there is a specific place for that, away from the public assembly of the church. You're to teach. You need to be skilled in teaching. You need to be actively teaching ladies, especially as you get older. You need to engage in teaching the younger women and teaching your friends and neighbors. It's just you haven't been given a public role. <clears throat> as I said in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning of verse 8, Charity never fails. Where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. The day was coming... When those miraculous and spiritual gifts were going to cease. And I believe that was when the Bible, the New Testament was completely written down. I suppose the last thing written was Revelation. The books of John were probably the last. And when the last word was written in the last period, the need for the gift of tongues and interpretation ended. The need for knowledge to prophets ended. The need of prophecy ended. The age of elders came into its fullness. The age of teachers, that which was perfect, that word means complete, the complete New Testament, when it was come, the in part, which was the miraculous, was done away with. And so the overarching principle is to seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church, that all may learn and all may be comforted. Men must step up and give effort. Give effort to and embrace and seek to excel at public teaching. In the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 40 he says with many other words did he testify and exhort saying save yourselves. That's what we need. We need men who are willing to stand up and testify and exhort and teach the word of God. We need men willing to sit down and put the effort into study and understanding of scripture. I understand not all men can do it but I believe all men should try.
And one of the reasons I believe that is because you have something that's valuable through your experiences of life, through your childhood, through your marriage, through your trials. You've overcome things that I need help with. And I have overcome things you need help with. It's not about eloquence. It's about knowledge, imparting knowledge. And we need all those points of view. We need all those frames of reference to be complete. Because we learn from one another, we grow from one another. Another passage that I think is wonderful, Ephesians 6, beginning of verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer, and supplication in spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now listen. And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We need men to speak boldly the word of God, to stand on truth. Every church needs it. Every church needs elders who are skilled in teaching and men who will dedicate themselves to teach and guide the church. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.